Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, hello, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I'm your host, Liv. Now, this is the second episode with my new music, and I am obsessed with it, so I can only trust you all are as well. Conveniently enough, it's a song called Athens, and the artist is Magnus Moon. It's magnificent. A quick note before we dive in. I wanted to let you all know that I've started creating Spotify playlists of podcast episodes. Essentially, these are curated lists of past episodes that help put them into categories for easy listening. Like, there's a playlist for all the Trojan War episodes or the Odyssey. These episodes weren't released all completely consecutively, so this puts them all together. There's a playlist of episodes about the Olympians and about strong women and LGBTQIA characters. 
For now, you can find links to these in my Instagram story highlights or on my Twitter. Both are at MythsBaby. Soon they'll be on my website too, but baby steps. Because man, have I got a lot of fun new things going on. Well, here we are back again with Aeneas. Uh, Aeneas. I think I've made it fairly clear in these episodes I've done on the Aeneid, but I am not half as well versed in Roman history and mythology as I am Greek. Yes, I still took it in university, but oh, that was some time ago now, so I don't count myself as completely reliable. I harp on about propaganda mostly because, well, it's obvious a lot of it is propaganda, and I know full well that Augustus commissioned the work from Virgil for exactly that. But still, there are definitely major complexities that I'm unaware of. In general, this is a very different work than I'm used to, though I do reference Ovid a lot because it was written much more intentionally than the Greek writers, who, at least for Hesiod and Homer, were, for the most part, just documenting the well-known beliefs and stories of their time. The Aeneid is trying to solidify a myth that was, in part, well-known, but working to turn it into something that supported the leadership at the time. Leadership that was only a couple dudes into essentially a dictatorship when they had previously been in essence a democracy. Anyway, again, with the really basic understanding of something that is very complex. But I think it's important that I both remind you I'm not an expert on Rome and mention that bit. Because Augustus came after Caesar, who took out the Roman Republic and installed himself as a kind of a supreme ruler. They'd had a lot of drama, is the overall point. I won't say it's unfamiliar today. Now, where were we in the story itself? Well, not one to let Odysseus have anything. Aeneas has just visited the underworld and spoken with a number of people, including his father, before returning to his ship to continue on his and the other Trojan refugees' journey to found a city in Latium. He's just been told that his trouble at sea has ended, but oh, is there trouble to be had on land? Something new and different. This is episode 101. Just when things are looking up, Aeneas goes to war. Sailing off once more up the coast of Italy in search of Latium, Aeneas and his fellow Trojan refugees pass by Circe's island. From it, they can hear singing, by night, Circe weaves, and the roars of lions and bears, cries of pigs and howls of wolves, can be heard all the way at the Trojan ship. I mean, Circe is queen badass of wild animals. All of this only makes me more impressed with that witchy witch. But it seems the Trojans are saved from Circe's island, saved from being transformed into wild beasts, by Neptune, Poseidon, god of the sea, who pushes the ship further on. Further and further until, finally, Aeneas sees it. The Tiber River, that symbol that they have finally reached the land they've been seeking all this time. Meanwhile, Virgil calls upon Arato, the muse of erotic poetry, for a background on what's going on there in Latium. Why the muse of erotic poetry? I have no idea. I imagine maybe she was viewed differently by the Romans? Regardless, in this translation, she is called by that name. Erato, Virgil asks, help me tell of those people that lived already in ancient Latium when these foreigners arrived. 
Latinus is their king, though he is old. He is the son of Faunus and a nymph, Marica, and Faunus's father was Picus, whose father was Saturn, which is the Latin name for Kronos. But Latinus has no heirs, no sons. They've all died. He has only a daughter, Lavinia, to carry on the house of her father. Men from all over were hoping to marry her. But a man named Turnus was the most likely. He was the most handsome. But it seems this too is not in the cards, because one day they see a sign. A swarm of bees! Yes, a swarm of bees appears and flies through the air before hovering over a treetop. The bees mass together, forming a shape. An augur is there to interpret this obvious sign from the gods. In this swarm of bees, he sees a column of foreigners, foreign to their land. This, along with some flaming looks from Lavinia, tell them all they need to know. She is to have a glorious destiny, but there will also be a horrible war. With so much information of their fates, Latinus is more curious than he'd ever been before. Looking for real, final answers, he visits the local oracle. The oracle, fortunately, is quite clear in this case. You shouldn't seek alliance with the local Latins, the oracle tells the king. Instead, your daughter should marry one of these foreigners. If she does... Her, and by extension your, descendants will reach the greatest heights imaginable. Latinus is left with these clear instructions on how to proceed. And meanwhile, a certain group of foreigners is making themselves comfortable upon the shore of that bit of land they'd been seeking all this time. On the shores of Italy near the Tiber River, Aeneas, his son, and the other Trojans are feasting. They're nearing the last of their food, so we're very specifically told they'd made wafers out of spelt to place their food upon. But when they'd finish what little they had, they're still hungry and move on to eating those spelt wafers. As they do, Ulysses, Aeneas' son, who was sometimes also called Ascanius, but now I'm going to call him Ulysses for what will become obvious reasons, speaks up. Look at us, he laughs, forced to eat our tables. Well, would you look at that, Aeneas responds to his own son. Wouldn't you know, I've just remembered something that my father and Kizzy's said to me about our journey. He said... When you're forced to eat your tables, that's when you know that home and rest are at hand. How convenient. He goes on, saying that his father had told him that when they'd experienced that eating of the tables, that's where they were to build their buildings and their defensive walls. We're finally here, he says to his men. This hunger we're experiencing now is the sign that we've been waiting for. But who already lives here, and where is their city with its walls? So they decide to explore the next morning, to scout things out so that they continue to prepare their settlement. And with that, they sleep there on the shore, plans made. And in the night, Jupiter Jove makes his thoughts on the subject clear, sending thunder and lightning to show it. Just as Aeneas has suspected from his father's prophecy, they really are finally on the right track. In the morning, Aeneas sends out a hundred of his men to seek the current leader of the region, Latinus, king of the Latins, and bring him gifts. 
Meanwhile, Aeneas stays back with the others and begins to build the foundations of their city and its walls. When the men arrive at the walls of Latinus's city, they find a great place. Big homes, towers, people living their lives, children playing, practicing with their bows and their javelins. A flourishing city is what they find. And they're invited in by Latinus, who welcomes this convoy of strangers, who, at this point, he'd fully expected to arrive there in his city. His palace is even more impressive than the rest of the town they'd seen. It's huge, towering, and majestic. There, there's some more name-dropping, more suggestion of just how touched by the gods this region is. The palace has its share of busts made to honor the people of the city's past, Italus and Sabinus, the gods Saturn and Janus, ancient kings and heroes, Picus, the ancestor of Latinus and the region's first king. He, it seems, once had a run-in with Circe, who transformed him into a woodpecker, though he was able to have her transform him back. There, the king, Latinus, invites these foreigners, these Trojans, into his palace. He remembers what the prophecy said, what he's meant to do. So Latinus invites in the Trojans, welcoming them to his palace as any ancient king should do. Trojans, we've heard of your city, he tells them as they settle in. We heard you were sailing this way, but tell me, why have you come here? Was it storms of Neptune that brought you to our shores? Have you found refuge from them in our river, he asks. If that's the case, take your refuge here. You're safe and welcomed on Latin land. We Latins don't just welcome strangers because it's law, but because we follow the old gods, Latinus tells the Trojans. Then he tells them a story he once heard. Dardanus, one of the earliest founders of Troy, was born there in the land of the Latins, before he sailed to Phrygian Ida. Of course, with this fact, Latinus is basically setting up why Aeneas and his men have arrived there specifically. Their blood originated there, and that's why it's been chosen as the place to start their new and great city. One of the Trojans, Ilionius, answers, King Latinus, it was no storm that brought us here. We came here quite on purpose as exiles from the fallen city of Troy. Our king Aeneas brought us here, and he is of the blood of Jove himself. We ask only that we be able to bring our gods here, he tells the king, that we're allowed to stay on our little spot of beach. Water and air cost nothing, he points out. You Italians won't regret welcoming us Trojans. We are good to have on your side. It's on the gods' orders that we're here. Ilionius then offers Latinus the gifts they'd brought, We haven't got much left after our city was burned, but we've brought you the best we have. At all of this, Latinus is left quite in awe. Of course, all he can think of is what he'd been told, that these were the foreigners, and he was to pledge his daughter in marriage to their king. And so the king welcomes them. While I'm king, you'll have land and wealth like Troy's, Latinus tells them. But if Aeneas is longing to be friends with me, let him come here himself. And when you tell him this request, tell him this also. 
I have a daughter whom the oracle prophesied should marry not one of the Latins, but a foreigner on this land. He tells them of the prediction of the oracle, that once this comes to pass, the children of his daughter and her foreign husband will find great, unimaginable success. I think, he tells the Trojans, that this foreigner told of by the oracle must be your king, Aeneas. To send the Trojans off, Latinus gifts them with horses as well as a chariot for Aeneas. The horses that pull the chariot breathe fire. Yes, they breathe fire. It seems Circe had bred them special, mating her father's stallions with mortal mares. Very fancy indeed. With the gifts and messages from Latinus, the Trojans make their way back to Aeneas. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Meanwhile, Juno is traveling through the sky and passes by the camp Aeneas and his fellow Trojans are in the midst of building. She watches them, angry with herself for not being able to destroy them all those times she'd tried, bitter that here they are, happy and comfortable, on the land they were seeking for so long, their ships left forgotten for the comfort of land, the absolute nerve of them. As she watches the Trojans, she hatches another plan. She isn't finished trying to ruin them yet. 
to prevent them from taking hold on this land and becoming the great city they're destined to be. As she ponders how she can handle this, how she can use the possible marriage between Aeneas and Lavinia against them, quote, Blood from both sides will be your dowry, child. Bellona will escort you. Bellona is the Roman goddess of war. The quote continues, No Venus's child will be another Paris, a funeral torch to burn a reborn Troy. It's dark. With this, Juno hurries on her way, dispatching Electo, one of the Furies, from her home in Hades to sow the seeds of war amongst the Trojans and the Latins, to cause whatever trouble the Fury can imagine to prevent this union from taking place. Electo heads straight to the palace at Latium, where she finds Amata, the queen, Latinus's wife, and poisons her against the idea of her daughter marrying the Trojan. It's a stunning and creepy interaction. Electo is described as tossing one of the snakes that make up her hair into the room with Amata. The snake coils itself around the queen, poisoning her mind, though she can't feel it there. Quote, As a gold chain, the huge serpent twined her neck, hung as a ribbon from her headband, wove through her hair, and slid around her body. Creepy and beautifully written and translated. When he's not spouting his obsession with the greatness of Aeneas and the future city of Rome, Virgil's writing is quite stunning. And so, Amata finds herself very very against the idea of her daughter Lavinia marrying Aeneas. Married to a Trojan, she exclaims, the horror of it. He'll flee as soon as he has her, she thinks, for the man is a pirate. She's poisoned against the Trojans as a whole, picturing Paris stealing in amongst the Spartans to make off with Helen, likening that to this arrival of Aeneas on their shores. But her husband can't be convinced. He's seen the prophecy. He knows this is what's best for their daughter. But his wife has been turned against him by the Furies, and when her fears aren't acknowledged by her husband, when he tells her that their daughter will marry the foreign Trojan, the Furies' infection in the queen begins to go to her brain, to drive her mad. Amata steals off from the palace with Lavinia, pretending that Bacchus has taken over her mind, and hides the girl in the forested mountains outside the city. Other women of the city are taken hold by Amata's pleas to Bacchus. You know how the ladies like their wine-filled parties and violent madness. They flee the city too, joining Amata in the mountains with Lavinia. While Amata does this, Electo goes in search of Turnus, the man Lavinia was meant to marry before the prophecy. He, too, is turned against the Trojans, is riled up by this snaky fury with thoughts of war and bloodshed and hatred for these foreigners, and for the Latins, too, for letting them in. Just as was made very clear to Aeneas and the Trojans, The trouble they'd encountered on the sea might be over, but the trouble on land is just beginning. With war kindled in the heart of Turnus and Amata, Electo makes her way down to the Trojan camp, the next on her list of who to fuck with on orders from Juno. She reaches Ulysses, Aeneas's son, who is in the woods hunting animals, She causes him and his dogs to focus in on a particular stag, 
a very impressive one. Turns out this stag is beloved by the family of the head shepherd for King Latinus, a man named Tyrus, who would raise the stag from the time it was a baby. His whole family doted on this animal. It is a very, very beloved stag. And Electo and Eulis hunt it. They shoot it with an arrow, and though he mortally wounds the poor thing, it doesn't die there in front of him. The stag stumbles back to the farm where it spent its nights, where it was raised, the farm of the most important herdsman in Latinus's kingdom. It is amazing how much trouble one of the Furies can cause, forcing the hands and minds of the mortals, all on the orders of Juno. One shouldn't mess with the goddess. Tyrus, his family, and all the other herdsmen of Latinus's kingdom come together in their sadness and anger at the death of this precious stag. They too are roused to war by this crime against them, and so they march against Eulis, Aeneas's own son. Of course, Eulis has the Trojans there to back him, and so the first battle of the Trojans against the people of that land takes place. It's minor by comparison of what's to come, but men die, and so anger at these foreign Trojans only grows. The son of Tyrus was one of the dead, making the whole thing tragic and infuriating for everyone. Electo is very much succeeding in turning Latinus's kingdom against these Trojans, though Latinus himself isn't yet on that side. And she returns to Juno to tell her as much of her success and offer even more war and bloodshed to be spread far beyond just this region, should that be Juno's plan. No, not yet, is Juno's answer to Electo before she casts the fury from Mount Olympus. That isn't the place for one like her. She sends Electo away, very happy with the results of this plan so far. Blood has been shed, anger and hatred kindled in the hearts of both sides. For now, this is what she needed. That can be the marriage foretold of, she thinks. To cap it all off, Juno causes the shepherds and herdsmen who have just fought with the Trojans and suffered horrible casualties to carry the dead directly to King Latinus, pleading with him not to welcome the murderous Trojans. Turnus arrives there too to stoke the same, to talk of these ruinous Easterners who would take over their land and cast them all out. The Queen Amata too is there to lend her voice to this call for war against the Trojans. Latinus, for his part, seems to recognize the role of the gods in the mess they've all now found themselves in. He knows the prophecy that his daughter is meant to marry this Trojan, that that is the best way to keep the kingdom safe and flourishing, that they will only find more success and fame with such a match. But his entire kingdom is now against him, his wife included, so there's nothing he can do. So Juno opens the gates of war. Not just the Latins of Latium, but so many more tribes and cities of the Italian world are pulled together by Turnus to go up against the Trojans. Name after name is listed, details of their heritage and whichever heroes the people may be related to. 
This book of the Aeneid marks Virgil's switch from calling upon the themes and stories of the Odyssey to that of the Iliad. Region after region, including some of the same that marched against Troy during the Trojan War, are named. All the people willing to come to Turnus and Latium's aid against these remaining Trojans, who really can never catch a break. All these people join up with Turnus and march across the plains to reach the Trojans, officially waging a war against Aeneas. The gods really do love starting a good war amongst mortals. Back at the Trojan camp, Aeneas is really feeling the pressure. How could he not? Everything seemed to be going so well when they'd first arrived. The Trojans were welcomed by Latinus. The king had even suggested Aeneas marry his daughter for a straight alliance between the two groups. And now? What a mess. They're looking at yet another major war. As he worries through the night, the god of the region, Tiberinus, comes to see Aeneas and alleviate his fears. The god tells Aeneas to persist, to continue on, that he is still destined to be there in Latium, that the land will be his and he will bring his Trojan gods there, that he will rule just as he'd been working towards through his whole treacherous journey. He just has to get through this pesky little war. The god offers proof, too, that he is really there instructing Aeneas, and that the man isn't just dreaming. He tells Aeneas that when he wakes, he will find a giant sow with 30 newborn babies beneath a nearby tree. He goes on, telling Aeneas that in 30 years, his son, Eulus, and also Ascanius, because I swear Virgil lives to use both names interchangeably, will found Alba. Tiberinus tells Aeneas of a group of people in the city of Palantium, named for Pallas, they call her, they mean Athena, and that these people are always at war with Latium and the perfect group to make allies with. When day begins to break, Aeneas does indeed see the sow and her new babies, proving the words of the god Tiberinus, the god of the river Tiber, to be true. Of course, the reaction to finding such a lovely group of animals is to sacrifice them, all at once, to the goddess Juno. And so Aeneas does. Poor things. With that done, Aeneas knows his next step must be to seek the help of the people in Palantium, whose leader is named Evander. So he and the Trojans travel to the city. It takes days sailing up the Tiber River and seek Evander. Aeneas pleads for his help, speaking of how their people are united, why they should now be allies in this unexpected war with the Latins. Evander is the king of this group whose ancestors originally came from Arcadia, Greece, so it isn't lost on them the irony of their now teaming up with Trojans, Greeks, and Trojans, madness. But they have a common enemy, and that's what matters. Plus, it seems Anchises, Aeneas's father, had traveled there once and their people come from the bloodline of the Titan Atlas, so they bond over a shared blood of the gods. Evander agrees to help Aeneas and his men, and so welcomes them to a feast. At this feast, Evander tells an incredibly long and detailed story of Heracles, Hercules, I should say, as we're reading the Roman, Hercules this and Hercules that. They say he killed a monster named Cacus, there where the men now eat their feast. 
They hold a ceremony for Hercules, led by priests of the hero, and sing of him throughout the afternoon and into the evening. Finally, when all is finished, Evander has Aeneas accompany him on the walk back to the palace, where they speak of any and everything Aeneas wants to know. Evander tells him of the founding of the Latin world. Their mythology links Saturn to the land, Kronos in the Greek, and Evander tells Aeneas that Saturn arrived there, having fled the violence of his son Jove. A fascinating interpretation, given, as the story goes, Saturn had a habit of eating all his children and also he castrated his father? But in this telling, Saturn flees Jove and lands there in Italy, where he founded a culture and called them the Latins. This, it seems, was a golden age for the region, before it slowly degenerated away from the purity it began with. This, too, is a running theme in origin stories for mythologies. It exists in much of the Greek mythology, too. An idea that there were many ages of people before the one that they live in now, where things had been better, humans had been more powerful, and sometimes, yes, gold. Evander tells Aeneas all that he can of the history and mythology of that place, where Aeneas is destined to found his city that is destined to become Rome, the best of the best, according to the Romans. They mention Romulus, fated to be the official founder, though Aeneas will lay the groundwork. The Aeneid loves foretelling, loves predicting things that Virgil knows because it's his history. But if he has people in the Aeneid talking about how it will happen, it sounds like it's been meant to be preordained by the gods forever. Aeneas, Aeneas, Aeneas. Of course, he's not there yet. There's still that little issue of war. Oh, thank you all for listening, as usual. I'm sorry the Aeneid episodes have been so on and off. Pandemic fatigue aside, I have to keep everyone hooked, and it's a juggling act between the people who enjoy these long, drawn-out series of episodes and those that prefer the single, super-mythological episodes. But we're powering through old Aeneas, and there's much more fun things to come in the podcast. With this extra time on my hands, I'm really finding myself coming up with more interesting concepts to cover, cool people to talk to, so much that I couldn't have done while I was doing my old full-time job. So yet another thank you to you all for helping me with that. Well, as always, I would be eternally grateful if you would rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Like I've said, I get daily updates with your ratings and they give me such a thrill every time they pop into my inbox. It's the most helpful thing anyone can do for a podcast they like. Plus, it makes the hosts super happy. Win, win, win. Thank you all. Next week, we're back with more of Aeneas and his war with the Latins. You are all the best. I am Liv and I love this shit. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.